to me, so much of, of my healing and growth, I feel like has been anchored in like improving my relationship with myself because I feel like when I like me more, other people's opinions of me don't matter as much. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by a New York Times bestselling author, director, comedian, YouTuber, and mental health advocate, Allison Raskin. Allison, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there. I always get so amazed by like people that are like on this show. It's like, if I can get one job and do that well, I'm like, oh man, I made it. And then it's like people with 19 jobs come on here. I'm like, these people are so driven. Or it's just the state of the industry. I think it's just like really hard to just have one path or one source of revenue. You kind of have to cobble together a lot of different things. You got to wear a lot of hats to make it an entertainment. That's for sure. I'd prefer to just do one thing. Like sometimes I'm like, imagine if I only had to do one thing. That sounds so cool. <laughs> when I tell people I'm a stand up comic and they're like, you do that full time, you pay your bills with that. It's people like are so skeptical. I know. And then it's like vice versa, though. Now for me, like when someone's like, yeah, like I'm a physical therapist. I'm like, that's it. Like you pay. Your- <laughs> I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> it's, it's, I'm so jealous of people with one job. It drives me nuts. What do you like more, writing a book or writing a script? Writing a script. Writing a script. Why so? I am not good at describing places. My instinct is to like not describe what anybody looks like, not describe the space, just like get to the characters and dialogue. And I also went to school for screenwriting. So I'm like formally trained in screenwriting where I feel like I get it. Writing prose has been much more of like, oh, maybe this is how this works. Like I feel much just like less like trained in this type of writing. I feel more at peace with screenwriting, even though I haven't written like a full script in quite some time. Good for you. I could barely write my own name. <laughs> you know, so when I see people uh, very, very jealous of writers, my father was a writer. My father's written two books. My dad was a sports writer for like 40 years or something. Wow. So I've always been interested by the written word. But, you know, to see people be able to do it and make a living off of it's always been super cool to me. But stand up is a lot of writing, too. Yeah. And a lot of performing in front of your dogs. But I will say when I I used to do a lot of stand up and I actually found that I couldn't write stand up jokes the way I wanted to write them. So I'm like so envious of people who know how to write longer jokes and like oh. build the laugh like that to me is like over my head. I think like my first set was just like 15 minutes of just being observational ist, you know, <laughs> just being like. You know, this is weird. Isn't that weird to you? All right, like let's go into it. Like, you, but being able to build off of it is 
a lot of repetition, you know that. And it's like, you know, how can I make this longer or how can I make this shorter? There's like so many bits that are like that. Stand up's just a really weird job because you're constantly second guessing yourself and like second guessing your art. Mm, yeah. And it's constantly like evolving too. So it's like some jokes hit well in Portland, Oregon, and some don't. I know. And then it's like, am I different? Did like, why did this happen? But I, so much of it is also just like, and I know I don't like when comics blame the audience on stage, but I also do think that there is something about the environment and like the comics that came before you, the vibe of the crowd, the vibe of the night, the vibe of the space can like yeah. impact the same exact joke. It's the perfect storm. It's like, I used to be afraid of bombing, but like after the first time I bombed, just knowing the camaraderie though that was going on in the green room after i was like this is fine and like what is worse than that i mean obviously a lot of things are worse than that but like on yeah. a professional level standing up there while no one is laughing <laughs> at you and then having to be like well i'm gonna keep doing this is like i can handle any kind of uncomfortable situation yeah I, it was like well it's seven minutes before the light even goes on <laughs> yeah exactly uh, let me ask you a question yeah. You were engaged before, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As was I before I met my wife. Oh. So, yeah, we're we're in the same boat in that situation. Your ex-fiance walked out, right? Yes. In the moment, obviously, you're like, oh, my God, this is like the worst situation, obviously, ever. But then you look at your life now. How often do you revisit that kind of fork in the road in your life? To remember and like kind of keeping you grounded for what you want to do with the rest of your life. Don't you feel so weird sometimes when it's like, oh, I don't want to like give somebody else credit for like how awesome I am. <laughs> I guess I have to revisit it because I'm sort of writing a book based off the events of that. So I'm in my head a lot lately about that situation, about what it's like to be left in that way without real explanation, about what it means to to commit after someone does that to you. But it's really hard because I'm somebody who like hates the term everything happens for a reason, because I think it just minimizes so many people's suffering. And it's like, yeah, oh, OK, especially when it's said to me and I'm having a hard time. Yeah. Or just like, it's just like this idea that like, okay, so when things go well for people, they deserve it. And when things go bad for people, they deserve that. Like, I don't, I just don't like that kind of messaging. But I do think that what it taught me more than anything was that you can be happy in multiple versions of your life. And so I think sometimes we get attached to this one version and it's like, well, if this doesn't go the way that I had planned, then I've lost out on the life I was supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And now I think a lot about like, I could probably be happy in a lot of different ways and a lot of different paths. And that's like really liberating because when things do go wrong, it's not like, well, now I'm screwed. It's like, well, now let me, let me pivot. Were you just kind of ever in a situation you're like, oh my God, I'm never dating again. So I started dating again pretty quickly. So I wouldn't get in that headspace. I like it. So I could tell that I was getting really afraid and I was starting to believe things that were not helpful, that there was no one good out there, that all the good ones were taken, that I was going to be alone forever. So I needed to like put the kibosh on that. So the way I did that was by signing back up on onto Hinge so that I could like be like, oh, there are actually other great people out here and I don't need to believe these terrible 
catastrophic thoughts that I'm having. And so I met my now husband only like three months after my broken engagement. Look at that. Look at that. I used to run this like business and I it's very loosely called business is I used to write people's like hinge and Tinder profiles. Uh, a dream. Yeah. So I remember it started as a joke, but like a lot of people inquired about it. Like, and they kept like coming up to me being like, oh man, I want you to write this for me. Like, can you write this for me? Let's figure this out. As a writer, was it hard for you to write your hinge profile? Yeah. And this is just me. Yeah. One of the ways I filtered out profiles was if there was anything sincere on someone's profile, I said no. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that you are such a nerd about this. This is amazing. (laughs) This is the type of shit that like, I'm like, listen, if you say anything personal or like really, really down to earth about your actual life, I don't want anything to do with it. I think you need to have a lot of information. So like you need to list where you work, maybe list if you want kids, if you've had kids, like if you smoke, you don't smoke. Like I think that you should fill out all of the informational stuff yes. so that it shows that you care and that like you're, you know, actually interested in someone getting to know you and there's more for people to talk to you about. But like in response to prompts, what I'm looking for is a bit. I'm looking for something that is like going to make me laugh. Another thing I, I was an immediate note for me was whenever someone told me what they weren't looking for. Yeah. Like, who are you? I was like, yeah, I was like, I don't like this vibe. I don't like the vibe of like leading with like, and this is who I don't want. I like yeah. the vibe of like, and this is a silly joke I thought in the shower. <laughs> I would always, I was like, you guys have to like, you have to disarm yourself just as much as you want to disarm the person that's swiping my favorite thing was to choose pictures for like my friends profiles too oh yeah i remember just being like dude please don't put this picture of you up there it's crazy how much time and effort really goes into like having a good dating profile yeah i mean so i wrote a book about like the intersection of dating and mental health and so i like kind of live a lot in like the relationship space relationship advice all that and i even like shot this pilot where it was like basically going to be like a matchmaking show but like I got to be the host and then everyone was like we don't who are you we don't want this and so then I was like working with one of the people that was like going to be one of like kind of the contestants or participants like on his profile and he was a performer and so like every shot in his profile was him performing you can't do that and I was like you can have one of these but somebody is going to want to date you not like your onstage persona. So like yeah. you need to show like what your life actually looks like when you're off stage. Yeah. You have to have one picture that's like, oh, what the hell is that? And now they can ask that question. Now you have a conversation starter. Yes. Having things that people can actually like talk to you about is incredibly helpful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like have a couple of things to talk about, like your life. I love that. I always look at it from the outside looking in, right? Thankfully in my life, I've been in relationships that I've learned a lot from like all of them. But sometimes I do get jealous that the fact that I just never been able really to like freely swipe hinge and get in there and be a creative person. I feel like that's such an amazing creative platform dating sites. (laughs) Well, you got to write other people's profiles. I know. I know. But it just hits different when it's you. You know what I mean? It's like ghostwriting a a hit record. It's like, yeah, (laughs) I wrote it, but nobody knows I did. Well, yeah. maybe maybe with the permission of your wife, you can get on some sites and, and just sort of see what's oh, going on. 
Yeah, she would love that. Let me bring. <laughs> hey, How honey. did you guys meet? So we met through a mutual friend. Ooh, love it. It was actually via FaceTime. Our mutual friends were FaceTime each other. And I remember just seeing her in the back and I was like, who the hell is that? And I was just like, hey, hey, what's up? What's going on? And then like we talked a little bit like through FaceTime. And then I messaged our mutual friend and was like, hey, I want to get that person's phone number. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, yeah, she hasn't been able to get rid of me since. (laughs) Got married in May. Oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. We're both recovering financially still. So, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. I look at life like this. And maybe maybe you can help me guide me to land this thought. We're all going to be super dead, right? At some point in our lives, we're going to die, right? I don't want to look back on my life and be like, why don't we have that wedding like that? The way that we wanted to like have that wedding. Like if I have like four or five months of my life where like I'm a little bit broke, like I can live with that. No. So we just got married in August and afterwards we were like, that was worth it. (laughs) It was like this. And like, I think the misconception is like people will think that like a big wedding is about the couple. And so it's like, why do you need that for your relationship? But in our experience, our wedding was like about our community. Our marriage is about me and him. But like the wedding was like a time to like bring together everybody that we love and to like celebrate our future and our past and like and just like the community that we've both individually built and built together and just like get to have everyone be really excited for you. It's pretty lovely. <laughs> yeah. And you want to know what it is? You know, like I headline and stuff. So like I'm used to like kind of being the center of attention. But, like, my wife is, like, chill as fuck. And, like, it was so nice to be able to give her a day in her life, Mm -hmm. you know? Between her, me, her parents, we all came together and, like, made this thing. My parents made this thing, like, as special as it was. And it's, like you said, we walked away from it. I said, yeah, it was worth it. Totally. I mean, I had the benefit of my parents paying for it. So it was definitely worth it for me. But (laughs) even just like the time and the the thoughts and the thank you notes. But yeah, we both are such hands. Like, I think there are people that are like, I don't want all the attention on me. John and I are like, we love it. Keep it coming. (laughs) Hit me with it. (laughs) Exactly. Like my wife was like, do you want to like say anything at the wedding? And I was like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, you want to like give a speech? And I was like. When we do that rehearsal dinner, I'm talking my ass off. <laughs> okay, so we got married by one of John's good friends who's become one of my good friends. And he's a sketch writer and a comedian. And so he was like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Like the only rule that we gave him was that he can't make fun of himself because he tends to be pretty self-deprecating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- we were like, you can literally do whatever you want. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. And so this guy, <laughs> throughout the entire wedding, he is doing a bit that our wedding is sponsored by Lipton Brisk Ice Tea. <laughs> Lipton Brisk Ice Tea? When I, oh, remember how fucking good that shit was? It's so good. Okay. And just like would go through the parts and then like refer back to Lipton Brisk Ice Tea, like was really building it. And then towards the end of the ceremony, he goes and gets a a huge 20-ounce bottle of Lipton Brisk Ice Tea and chugs the entire thing. Love it. So there was like a solid two minutes during our wedding ceremony. That is JC just drinking this huge bottle. 
<laughs> flips and Prisca's tea while everyone is like, what is going on? And I just keep shouting, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. And then he finished drinking it. And then there was like a perfect pause. And he just goes, that's brisk, baby. Oh and my so God. that became the that. anthem for the whole wedding. <laughs> Man, that, that guy was so cool, too. That fucking snowman. That guy was cool as shit. It's a great brand to, you know, have such sentimental meaning in my life now. <laughs> if you guys are listening, go watch like Lipton iced tea, like brisk iced tea commercials from like the 2000s. The snowman was the coolest fucking guy in the world. <laughs> I don't know why he picked that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I'm here for it. Like, you can't even make that shit up. Yeah, it's so good. Can we talk about uh, the Just Between Us <laughs> podcast? Oh, please. So the Just Between Us podcast, right? Your co-host on there. Do you write going into your podcast or do you have like a couple ideas that you do and you like want to touch on? Because I feel like from a writer's perspective, podcasting can be difficult. Do you ever find kind of like a weird sense of like feeling unprepared in a podcast? So we're lucky in that ours is super segmented. We have different sections. So sometimes I don't know like what exactly I'm going to say in a section, but I also have a sense of like how long each thing goes on and and whatever. And so there is probably more prep involved in our JBU full episodes. Now we also do like this Reddit show on Mondays, but the traditional like full episode, I have to go in having prepared. So we, we start each episode being like, hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate. And then I have to come up with a third thing. And I'm trying to come up with the third thing that I've never said before. And we've done over 200 episodes. <laughs> and so that's challenging. Then we have banter, which sometimes I feel like can get pretty boring. And I, like, I'm constantly like, nobody cares about this. And Gabe has to be like, everyone cares about this. <laughs> that's the hardest thing with podcasting. There's literally like sometimes I'll have things come out of my mouth. I'm like, who gives a shit? Yeah, it's tough. And I think also for me, a lot of the stuff that I make, I wouldn't necessarily consume. So I'm not someone that listens to like talky podcasts. Like I only listen to podcasts where like I learned something or it's like super serialized, like a a story that they're telling. Yeah, like somebody has to die in it and I have to follow (laughs) why it happened. People ask me all the time, like, what are some of your favorite podcasts? And I'm like, I don't know, like a sex murder, anything (laughs) like sex murder in it. You know what I mean? Murder porn or is like my favorite like fucking podcast type shit. It's like that. I'm getting a little burnt out on on the violence and the true crime. But like right now I'm listening to a show that's about this FBI guy who was like spying for Russia. Richard Hansen, I think is his name. And like the takedown of him and just like the story of that. So like that's a sweet spot because it's juicy, but it's also not like, and this child died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Espionage. Mm-hmm. I love espionage. <laughs> one of my favorite words ever. I'll, like I'll randomly say espionage for no reason. Like I'll just be walking around my house and just be like espionage. Well, a thing that we say all the time after we watch The Night Agent. Did you ever watch that yeah. show? <laughs> yeah. The Night Agent. Holy shit. Like constantly, multiple times a day, one of us will say life's wild when you're in the Secret Service. I don't know why, but we just say it all the time. You, you want to know what's funny, though, too? You, you remember that show, The Americans, with Carrie Russell? Currently watching it on right, season five. Okay, it's, <laughs> awesome. it's awesome. The show's awesome. Every time, like, we watch, like, an old FX show, 
like we watch Always Sunny all the time, and there'll be a commercial for the Americans. My wife asked me she, every single time. I don't know why, but now it's hilarious. Anytime we see a promotional thing for the Americans, we have to ask each other, have you ever seen the Americans? <laughs> <laughs> we do it every single time we see. You have to. I'm like, hey, uh, let me ask you a question. You ever seen the Americans? <laughs> It's little shit like that that nobody will understand. That's marriage. <laughs> yeah, marriage. It's like, uh, hey, our inside joke is asking each other if we've ever seen the Americans. <laughs> oh, my God. Being married is so cool, but like so crazy at the end of the day. I remember when we first got married and we got home and being like, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest thing. It's like, all right. So you're like, you're on your honeymoon. You're doing this. And. You'd send a thank you letter. As soon as all the wedding dust like went away, I remember literally looking at my wife. I'm like, so like, what do you want to do? I know. I think that's why people have children. I know. Cause it's like, well, all right, well, like what else are we going to do? Like, how can we get the attention back? <laughs> do you want children? I think so. I think we're planning <laughs> to, but I also, I think it's scary. And I, I think especially as a woman, I'm, encounter a lot of content about how horrible it is and how it can ruin your life. So I'm trying to consume more things about like the positives of it and like be around friends with kids and see that like, Oh, they're actually like this and they're still people and all of that. <laughs> like you pull one of them aside, like Connison, I'm like, listen, come here. Like, are you really okay with this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, don't just lie. Like, do you really love this thing? Cause I'm not a kid person. I'm an animal person. Like, I'm obsessed with animals, obsessed with dogs, have two dogs, like, constantly looking for animals, <laughs> want to touch them. Kids, not so much. Constantly looking for animals. <laughs> well, if you're constantly looking for kids, I'd be a little worried about this dog. <laughs> but I have two nieces who I love a lot. And so there was actually, like, a moment to get deep here or whatever. So I've always been like, well, I don't want to have kids the way it seems like a lot of other people want to have kids. And so will that mean that I won't like, like the experience the same way or whatever. But then at my wedding, I was dancing with my two nieces who are like six and nine. And like, before they went to bed, I was basically just like on the dance floor with them. And I was like, well, Allison, if you were truly someone who didn't like children, then you probably wouldn't be spending your wedding dancing with your nieces. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I was like, there's another version of a person who wouldn't be like, they would be nice to their nieces, but they would be off somewhere else. And I was like, so maybe there's just a lot of fear and anxiety here rather than like a true disinterest. Let's stay on that. How, how old are you when you were diagnosed with OCD? I was four. You were four. Yeah. So how old were like your nieces when you were dancing with them? Six and nine. Six and nine, right? Do you ever kind of put yourself in the position of being like, dude, when I was their age, I was already like going through like so much shit. <laughs> I think what it has done the most is made me realize like how terrible that was for my parents. <laughs> you know, right. because you you worry about kids just to begin with, even if they are doing really well. And then for me to be, you know, a suicidal four-year-old was probably a really I know it was a really, really terrifying and, and hard time for my parents. Do you have conversations like with your parents now just being like, hey, listen, like, I know that that was kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I did a really lovely episode of Terrible Thanks for Asking, which is Nora McInerney's podcast. And yeah. she had both me and my mom on. 
And so we were both interviewed nice. about it. And so hearing my mom talk about that time is, it's so surreal because I don't really remember it. I have a horrible memory, especially with my childhood. And so it's like this thing of like, oh, I was so sick. I was so mentally ill. But it's like also feels like you're talking about somebody else. Not yeah. that I'm not mentally ill now. I still am. But just to a oh. much lesser degree. <laughs> yeah, join, join the club. Join the club. <laughs> are you protective over your diagnosis? Like when people are like, oh, my God, I'm like so OCD. I used to be super protective over it. And my response would be like, oh, when were you diagnosed? To sort yeah. of like. I like to be sassy like that, too. I like to be sassy. But then when I started my grad program, which was in psychology, two main things happened. One was just realizing like how inaccessible proper mental health treatment is. Yeah. So who am I to gatekeep diagnosis if someone can't even get access to seeing someone who could diagnose them? And then two is that I just think that OCD and a lot of other disorders operate on a spectrum more than on like a categorical, like you either have it or you don't, you know, I think when, when it comes to diagnoses, what clinicians are looking for is when you're over a certain threshold of like how much it is impacting your life. But I think a lot of people have OCD tendencies without meeting the clinical diagnosis for having OCD. So again, like who am I to say that that thing that you do doesn't preoccupy you or take up space in your mind, but maybe it's not to the extent that other people experience it. See, you know what? I never really thought of it that way because I'm a fucking gatekeeper for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that, that was such a mature answer. But like when people are just like, oh, no, man, like I think I'm like bipolar. I'm like, well, yeah. When was your diagnosis? <laughs> like, you know, they're kind of hurtful to the community. Sometimes I walk away. I'm like, you're a smug, depressed piece of shit. Look at you go. You know what I mean? I'm like, this guy's just trying to be smug about bipolar. I was like, nobody wants that shit. I know. I also think there's a difference between people saying it, meaning it as like an adjective. Oh, I'm so OCD. Like, I don't like that. I think if someone's like, I think I have a little OCD, then I'm like, okay, you may you probably have some tendencies like that. That feels different to me than when people are using it flippantly. And because OCD is such a misunderstood disorder. Because yes. it also presents so differently for people and the impact it has on people's lives is so vastly different. And so I think when we talk about it in a flippant way, it sort of erases a lot of people's experience and, and the severity of the disorder for a lot of people. And you want to know what it is, though, too? It's like everybody has like a tick about something. When I show my wife stuff on the phone, while I'm showing her stuff, I'll be tapping the phone <laughs> in like, a, like a, in an X pattern. I'll just be doing it. She's like, Danny, why the fuck do you do that all the time? I go, I think I'm just nervous. <laughs> I'm just nervous all the time. So I, I have panic disorder and I was diagnosed with uh, dysthemia, which is like manic depression. And I remember my wife being like, you know, you go to all these like parties or get togethers that we have and you're like the life of the party. Like, why are you doing that? And I was like, it's because I'm terrified. Hmm. Of like people like not liking me or someone like seeing me sitting in a corner and then being like, what's this guy's story? I don't know if it's like borderline, not like sociopath shit, but like I'm always thinking people are looking at me and they're like not judging me, but like wondering, like, why is this person here? You know, and I'm like, it it touches on like social anxiety. Yeah, it's social anxiety, but it's almost like I tell people all the time I feel more comfortable on stage than I do in a Whole Foods. 
Yeah. If my wife came to me and was like, hey, you have to go next door and like get wine, I'd be more anxious about seeing the mailman <laughs> than about like seeing like being in a crowd full of like 10,000 people. No, I, I get that. I mean, everyone fixates on different aspects of like the human experience, I think. To me, so much of, of my healing and growth, I feel like has been anchored in like improving my relationship with myself because I feel like when I like me more, other people's opinions of me don't matter as much. I remember it used to just be so hard to exist. Like it was just like, like kind of like what you're alluding to, like to go here, to be there, like always feeling out of place that like I wasn't like welcome places or that like I was doing life wrong. I was doing being a girl wrong. I think that one of like the beauties of getting older is sort of being able to like also with like therapy and medication, being able <laughs> to like shake, <laughs> shake a lot of that off. And I think sometimes like there's this idea that like if you like yourself, then you're arrogant. And like we're told to like voice the things we don't like about ourselves out loud and then and then keep the things we do like about ourselves to ourselves. But there's so much power in just like saying the things that you like about yourself. You don't have to say them to everybody all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Like claiming the stuff, like leaning into like a strength based approach rather than like hyper fixating on our flaws has been like very helpful to me. It's so true, actually. Yeah. I remember my wife, I remember I asked her, What'd you think? Like after our first date, she was like, You talk about yourself a lot. <laughs> and I was like, Damn, dude, I, I didn't know this until like five months ago, like before we got married. Really? Yeah. So I was like, what the fuck? I was like, yeah, I was so self-conscious. Like, I didn't talk about myself for like five days after that. (laughs) I kind of was just like, yeah, like everyone's so nice. And uh, I I, I didn't say like any me statements at all. But but like, see, that's like such the negativity bias, right? Because it's like, oh, she said that. But then this woman also married you. I know. So I was just like, what the fuck? Like, obviously, it wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't so off-putting. She never wanted to see you again. Like, Yeah, because the thing was, I hated myself so much mm-hmm. up until, like, literally months before I met her. So, like, I was so fresh in the me shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, listen, I'm a new, beautiful flower <laughs> Like, you know, like, and this is what I love about myself. And I'm making sure people know that this is what I love about myself. Like, I'm I'm loud and proud in that situation. <laughs> but like you said, as long as it's not every time I see you, I think we're good to go. Yeah. And it's also just like not feeling like you have to tear yourself down all the time, which is really difficult when you're in the comedy space. For sure. And then also like in the comedy space, too, I feel it's hard for us like regulate our emotions like i thought that so much of being funny was tied to not being happy and then at a certain point it was like well i remember what it's like to not be happy i don't need to keep doing it (laughs) Uh, this worst part is like uh when it just comes out of nowhere though and you're like this i know this feeling here we go it's getting Mm -hmm. it's getting a little strange and then i'm like i have to find something about like i love about myself to me it's about not expecting not to have those moments but like increasing my recovery time yeah, that's like what I focus on. And also, too, it's like with stand up, it's like that adrenaline dump. If you've never experienced it, it's so hard to not be like sad after. I don't know. It's so <laughs> hard to deal with. It's like I'll do a theater show. Right. And then like I'll go back to like my hotel room and be like, I guess I'll get Domino's. 
I'm not a partier. I think that's the hardest thing for people in entertainment is to like regulate our emotions after we're done doing what we love to do. Mm. Cause like I've cried after shows for like no fucking reason. <laughs> I did a show in Montreal and I was like, Hey guys, what's up? I'll be out in a little bit. And I just went in the green room and cried. I'm like, what? what is going on? Was it a good show? It was a great show, but for some reason, I was like, I need to cry for some reason, but it wasn't like a cry, like, look how far I've come. I was like, no, I just need to cry a little bit. I need to cry after any emotional experience, whether the experience yes. are good is good or bad. And like, that's the thing I had to recognize was like, if I'm having a hard conversation, sometimes I'm not even like upset, but I will be crying. <laughs> yeah, it's just emotional. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, the thing that fucked me up, though, like I'm on Lexapro. Like mm. Lexapro turned me into like Jason Bourne. Like when it came to like, it's, <laughs> it's so crazy. Like I remember like, yeah, there's horrible things going on in the world. And like my wife is like, my wife is tough too, but she'll be emotional and she'll cry. Like she'll read a story on her phone, like in the New York times and she'll show me the same story and she's crying. I'll just be like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is, man. I used to cry all the time. Like before I started Lexapro, that's the one negative that I have about Lexapro. You don't cry at all on it? Oh my gosh. I wish. I really? wish I could cry right now. I cried at my wedding because I think that was just like a sensory overload. Like everything was like too much. But, you know, I don't know if it's just like I'm at this point now where I'm so desensitized because I've seen so much crazy shit in my life. But mm -hmm. it's like, I wish I just cried more like two nights ago. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm fucking going to tell the story two nights ago. I was like, I need to cry because I have not cried in like six months, you know, like about anything. And there's been all cryable stuff. So last night I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch all those like Chris Daughtry coming home videos. <laughs> like of like military. Yeah. Of, like soldiers, okay. like, dressed up in like catcher's gear at a baseball game and it's like their dad they take the mask yeah. off. oh yeah it's a, so, it's a good genre of video <laughs> it's a good genre of video and i was like i'm gonna watch this until i cry and i don't know if it was chris daughtry if it was just me but like six minutes in i was i was crying and i was oh, like that's wonderful yeah i said thank god thank god man i'm crying and then i went to like oscar speeches and I was like, those are kind of hitting me too. Like Forrest Whitaker had me crying that night. So I'm like, all right, I know I still have the the power to cry. I just know that I used to cry a lot more before like Lexapro. And I love Lexapro. I'm a big advocate for medication. I tell people all the time, different strokes for different folks. Live your life how you want to live it. The craziest thing about for me though, too, was when they started listing the side effects of Lexapro to me. I went inpatient because I was going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm having panic attacks. I was having like 11 panic attacks a day. Oh, my God. I didn't shower for like three weeks. I was afraid to shower. Like the water made my skin feel weird. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to the bathroom without like the door open. It, it was really, really fucking bad. And uh, I was on my terrace. I climbed on my terrace 11 floors up. I said, I'm jumping. I can't do this shit anymore. And I don't know what it was. There was just this moment of clarity that happened. This five second thought process. They were like, let's just try one more thing. Like my mind said this to me. And I was like, you need to go inpatient. 
And when I got there, he was like, what's up? You having suicidal thoughts? And I was like, fuck yeah, dude. I was like, yeah, dude. <laughs> He's like, do you want to harm yourself? I was like, so bad. That's why I'm here. I was like, that's why I'm here, dude. I was like, I don't want to waste your fucking time. And he's just like, all right, cool. So they like took all my strings and stuff, my shoelaces. That's when I was like, oh my God, this is for real. Yeah. And they took all my shit. And I was like, oh my God. I remember when I went in there, man, I didn't sleep for like three weeks. I had a paranoid schizophrenic roommate that was screaming, saying I stole his clothes and stuff as soon as I got in there. It was the best night's sleep I've ever got in my life. Wow. In that moment, because I knew that I was finally like taking steps towards making my life better. I love that. And like, they were like, listen, dude, we're not going to let you out of here until we figure something out. And I was like, I'm down. Please, just please help me. And they helped me and uh, they got me like suited on medication. But the worst thing about Lexapro, they were like, all right, man. So I got to read these side effects. Might make you want to kill yourself. I was like, what? (laughs) I know it is confusing. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? And they were like, yeah, man, like, yo, just just so you know, I got to read these side effects to you. You might want to tell yourself your dick might be weird for a little bit. You know, there's a couple of things also, but like, you know, you might get like fat and shit, but like whatever. And I was just like, yeah, like what the fuck? And then I was one of those people that didn't know shit about antidepressants. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take this and be okay tomorrow. They were like, yeah, don't work like that. (laughs) I was like, it might be a month. I was like, God damn, dude. And I remember the first time I ever took an anti-anxiety medication, they gave me Xanax. I was never a drug guy, like prescription drug guy. Like I never knew what they did. I had all friends that party with like Percocet and shit like that. I remember the first time I ever took like Xanax for panic disorder. I was in Walgreens for like 45 minutes just standing there, like looking for like snacks and shit. (laughs) I was like, this shit is fucking crazy because I couldn't remember the last time that my fight or flight wasn't going like this. Yeah. With OCD, do you guys have any experience like with panic? and or anxiety like does can you get anxiety from ocd oh yeah i mean i i also been diagnosed with just you know gad just like generalized anxiety it up, baby. Yeah, right? and Love i've it. had like depressive episodes as well the main thing that ocd causes right is distress which is like pretty awesome. similar to anxiety like i feel very much anxious and distressed when i think something is contaminated you have contamination ocd yeah Oh, it's so funny because I do all this mental health advocacy where I'm like, there's all these different subtypes of OCD, like everyone experiences differently. I personally, I have the sitcom kind, but like both other people have other, you know, like I have that version that people think that it is. So you were diagnosed at four, the maturity of your brain, right? You've matured with OCD in a sense. Yeah. You know, so like when you were like 11, you were like, hey, like if I don't clean this thing, like someone in my family close to me is going to die. I don't have you it. You have like the wild, yeah. Bad. Well, I don't want to be contaminated, so I'm not even such a good person. That it's like because I think it will kill someone I love. I just hate the feeling. Like there's two different kinds where it's like you're either afraid of the sick or the ick, and I'm afraid of the ick. So I don't even uh-huh. think I'm going to get sick from it. I just hate the feeling of being <laughs> contaminated, and will do you. anything in my power to avoid it. What was 2020 like for you then? I was prepared for it in a lot of ways. Were you like really? I had a, oh, yeah, I had a TikTok joke where I was like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I know exactly how to track these germs. <laughs> what did my left hand touch? Let me tell you everything my left hand's touched in the last two days. Were you like sanitized up? Like you had everything like figured out? Did you ever catch oh, yeah. it? 
No, I haven't. I haven't had COVID yet. Oh, you are a gangster. <laughs> but I'm also you still. I'm still very much someone who thinks that it's ongoing, and I continue to be COVID conscious and all this stuff. I'm the same. But, I just had it. I just had it again. Uh, I'm so sorry. Just had it again. Uh, listen, the worst part about COVID too. They were like, "Hey, man, if you're young, don't worry about it." It's not. They were like, "Unless you have diabetes and asthma," and I was like, "Well, I'm fucking dead. I have both of those." Well, it's just thinking, they, they, the assumption that like it's like getting the flu every year is just so false. And like each time you get it, like the chances of long COVID go up. We just don't fully understand the impact that this disease will have on people's bodies long term. And so it upsets me to see how flippantly everyone is is treating it. But that's yeah, it. No, I, 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 have another, I have another hour on all that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a an OCJ, an obsessive compulsive journal? Oh, no, I've never even heard of that. I think I kind of stole my friend's IP just now. But <laughs> he was diagnosed with OCD when he was around 12, 13 years old, when we were mm -hmm. uh, getting ready to go into high school with, with each other. And it had contamination OCD. But his thing was he had to write down everything he either touched or anybody that he spoke to that day all the time. Mm. And yeah. I remember catching him writing in it. And I was like, why are you writing my name down? In my mind, I was like, oh, this kid's going to fucking kill me. Like, he, he just wrote my name in a notebook. So I was like, this is fucking terrifying. I was like, yo, why did you just write my name in your notebook? He was like, oh, man, it's like this long story. And then years later, he told me about it. And he was like, listen, uh, I was diagnosed with OCD in eighth grade going into ninth grade, but I didn't want to tell anybody about it. And then I remember I was at his apartment and he still had like the OCJs, like the obsessive compulsive journals. When you write, do you kind of try to tap into that obsessive compulsive side of you? Does any of that bleed into your writing in terms of how you trying to be writing a character or even writing a book? How much of your own personality comes through in your writing? Or do you try to be like not biased when you're writing characters? Oh, I mean, everything I've written often has a mental health element to it. Yeah. Like my protagonist in this novel has anxiety and like I like tap into a lot of my experiences with that and just like growing up mentally ill and, and like how that impacts like your view of yourself and the world. I'd say that like my OCD impacts my work in that like I feel really guilty if I don't do my work. And so I think that there's been times in my life where I've been hyper productive but it's because I'm also maybe not doing so well. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's happened to me a couple of times too. So I ask for a lot of reassurance around my work, which is a form of having an obsession and then the compulsion is to ask for the reassurance so that I can feel better about my productivity. And so like right now I, I'm on deadline, so I will have like a word count that I want to hit every day, but then like I don't hit it every day. And so then it'll be like having to say to my husband, like I only got to 1400 words like, is that okay? Is that like, I'm constantly asking if it's okay, if it's enough, was I productive enough? Like that, that is definitely like an OCD thing that like, gets latched onto with my work. But then there are people that are like, oh, my OCD prevents me from even being able to do my work. And so then it's like, well. I had a manic episode like four days ago mm. that thankfully didn't last as long as like some of the other ones. Yeah. It was like around my wife's birthday. And when I'm manic, I'm a real fucking douche. I'm so afraid in the moment where it's like normal things are the hardest things to do. Mm. Like she'll be like, oh, like the dogs have to go out. And I'm like, I know they have to go out, but I'm just a, I'm, I'm manic right now. And I'm a, I'm just like afraid. 
you know, like to have, like, I'll have this horrible sense of fear. And it's like, you know, I've gotten to a point where when I am manic, I like, no, I'm in it. It's almost like when you're dreaming and you know, you're in a dream. Mm-hmm. So like, that's like what it is for me. So thankfully I've gotten like a, a bit better at that. There's a lot that I could get better at, but there's also like times though, too, if I'm like manic and I'm manically low, like I'll lose like my sex drive completely. And I'll like have to tell my wife and I'll be like, listen, honey, like if I'm not jumping on you, like I usually do, it's just because of this thing. I love you so much. But those are the conversations you have to have. I mean, like one of the things I get asked most about is like, how do you talk about your mental health with your partner? And so much of it is like being able to explain to them how your brain works, what they shouldn't take personally. Like last night, I just like didn't feel like I was just feeling like hypersensitive and like didn't want to be touched. And like, I didn't want to cuddle on the couch and like, you know, my husband has to like, be like, that's her, her thing, not an us thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. See, that's hard for, that's hard. I think that's hard for men to understand though, too. It's like, yeah. we grow out and it's like, what do you mean? You don't want to fucking touch you. <laughs> you know what I but mean? It, that's, I think a thing you have to be really like kind of cognizant of when you're looking for a partner, when you have mental health struggles is like, can this person separate themselves from what's going on with you like can they not take it personally like can they believe you when you say it's about something that's not them do they have enough confidence in themselves to be cool with that see my hardest thing is brain to mouth filter Mm. oh yeah you know so i think because the way that i'm wired i feel that if i don't say exactly how i'm feeling in the moment like my heart's gonna explode Mm-hmm. So, like in that moment, I, I I do need to try and take a step back and realize that a I'm not the only one with problems in this relationship. So I can't take this like this role is like the one with the issues, right? Because I feel like we can demonize our partners like that if they don't understand. I can't expect my wife to understand what it's like to have bipolar, right? It's going to be a constant learning process for her, just as much as it's a process for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel sometimes I can blame almost my wife for like not getting me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, so like it becomes one of those situations where I'm like, dude, like how is she supposed to get you? Dude? She doesn't have what you have. And so much of mental illness is not logical. So there really isn't anything to get. It's more just like to hold space for. Yeah. And it's like, like my wife's not equipped to like, understand the inners and outer workings of a bipolar male well i don't think that's fair to say i think no she's no no. And she's- no she's equipped but like she doesn't know what cognitive like how to like teach cognitive behavioral therapy is what i'm saying well she's not a professional yeah right. she's not a mental health professional right she's very equipped i like the way you framed that it's always a learning experience but being able to do it with somebody else it's just like been such a godsend in my life i know we had a very interesting conversation the other night because I have a lot of like food aversion and a lot of fear around food and um, we have HelloFresh and so there was like one meal that I I kind of like hid I didn't want to have to have it because it was making me afraid and John was like you've had this before and you liked it and I was like but I have to explain to you that my brain thinks that I don't like it and so I am afraid of it I don't want it even though like, you know that I liked it, my brain doesn't think that. And so therefore I'm terrified all day if I think that I have to eat that food. 
And then we both sort of stood there and I was like, okay, so I guess this is mental illness. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's just like, I kind of like, like theoretically know that I'm mentally ill. I have these whatever, but in so many ways, I, I, can accomplish what I want to do. I have the life that I want to have. But then in those moments, I'm like, oh, okay, yes. I can't expect you to understand this because it is me being mentally ill. <laughs> yeah, that's just, so you like you say like the last thing and you go to the bathroom kind of and you're like, yeah, that kind of didn't make any sense. No, I say it to him. I'm like, I know it doesn't make any sense. He's like, okay, so then what I need to do is I need to just make you the food and to give it to you. I was like, yes, you cannot tell me early in the day that you're going to be making something that I don't want because then I'm going to be worried about dinner all day. <laughs> I love that. I love that, man. Is it partner like partnership? It isn't like the greatest. It's, yeah. it, it's the greatest. I know some people like aren't into like this or whatever, but when you find something like that, it's indescribable. Almost like how we're like, it's hard for us to like explain ourselves, but there's something about relationships that's hard to explain as well. Medication. Like I was talking about like my Lexapro, my Lexa woes. I have a group on uh, Discord called Lexa Bros and it's 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 for men to like talk about their lives and shit like in dealing oh, I love that. taking Lexapro or taking antidepressants. For you, what's your relationship like with medication now? I'm someone who after a lot of back and forth has realized that I need to be on medication my whole life. I don't think that that's everybody, and I don't even think medication works for everybody, but I got OCD through something called PANDAS, which was like I had strep throat, and it activated the OCD in my brain, which is kind of why it came on like so strong and so severely. Oh, wow. So that's kind of like a more biological like yeah. right? So uh, to me, it kind of makes sense that medication works for me. I've been on all different kinds of medications. Now I'm on Trintelix and Wellbutrin. You know, I'm lucky that I have a psychiatrist who I really like and trust, and she works with me, you know, adjusting these dosages. I'm pro-medication when it makes sense for the person. For sure. I think that it's a really, really wonderful resource, and it also sucks that for some people it's not effective. But I also think you don't really know until you try. For sure. I tell people all the time, I said, listen, it's your body. Do whatever you want to do with it. But, like, I'm the type of person, I used to never go to the doctor, ever. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, hey, listen, like we got to just be on top of just taking care of ourselves. And, you know, I said, listen, I'm willing to try anything. And uh, with the balance of medication and treatment, I think a lot of people got to understand there's a lot of homework that goes into treating any kind of mental illness. It's a collaboration with your doctor or your psychiatrist to figure out, you know, what works. And a lot of times these side effects that people are really worried about kind of end up not being that big of a deal because you're just like less worried overall <laughs> in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, so true. Like maybe you're so obsessed with gaining weight, but then when you go on medication and you do gain five pounds, you suddenly like it doesn't bother you the way you thought it would because nothing is bothering you the way you thought that it would. Yeah, you're describing my life. <laughs> but I remember I was like, I don't want to get fat on Lexpro. And then I took it and I was like, I gained like eight pounds or whatever. And I remember I was like, I don't really give a shit though. Exactly. You're like, I'm, but I'm enjoying being alive. That's yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm alive. I'm going to shake this fat ass all the way to the goddamn, <laughs> all the way to the fucking finish line. I don't give a fuck. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for spending the time and coming on here and hanging out and letting your dog make a visit and <laughs> as well. I really appreciate that. This is the one cool thing about like doing Zoom shit is like you get to like see people's like cool, like safe spaces. Yeah. You can see you know? my delicates hanging on my laundry racks. There you go. What is a delicate? Delicate is something that can be washed but not dried, or at least that's how I refer to it. So things I can wash in the washing machine, but then I have to air dry. 
that's deep. Mm-hmm. Delicates are deep. <laughs> <laughs> if you really think about it. Del- del- delicates are like the artist of the clothing world. Well, we just keep getting more and more delicates and it's kind of annoying. I had to buy a third rack. It's fine. Uh, one time when I was a kid, I tried to wash uh, my suit in like the regular wash. <laughs> and when it came out, it looked like I grew 14 inches. And my mom fucking lost her mind. Well, so that's the side effect of my contamination OCD is I try to clean and wash things that should not be. And I, I destroy stuff. I'll be honest. Like how often do you wash your hands now, though? A lot. COVID also fucked me up. I'm still recovering from a lot of habits I developed during COVID. Shoes in the house or no shoes in the house? No. Come on. Okay. This is an uh, amateur hour. Right? <laughs> no, sho- no shoes in the house. What about like washing your hands? My uncle would wash his hands. I saw him wash his hands like 14 times in a day once. Mm-hmm. What's the most you've ever washed your hands in a day, you think? Oh, I have no idea, but probably like 20 times. Wow. I have all these things that if I touch, I then have to wash my hands. Like it's a lot of the dog stuff. If I touch, I have to wash my hands. If I'm doing laundry, my hands, I always have to wash my hands before I touch my laundry. At this point in your life now, does that stress you out? Or is it something like, this is just who I am? Or is it a, a mixture? That, like, washing my hands in my home is, like, so not a big deal to me. Because it doesn't yeah, I, yeah, prevent like me from doing the things I want to do. I'd say that, like, other behaviors interfere with my life more than than the hand washing. What's, like, the one behavior that bothers you the most? And what, like, what's one behavior that bothers you the least i clorox wipe my phone all the time and that doesn't bother me i love doing that too though i love to clorox wipe my phone oh it's the best because phones are fucking disgusting i know not mine (laughs) do you wash your case too yeah well i just wipe down the whole and that's the other thing is like it's not logical so i will also do things that other people would be like that's disgusting how can you do that you have ocd and it's like because i just have random rules that aren't like my dogs sleep on my bed and yeah. people are like how can you have your dogs on your bed when you have ocd i'm like because it's a mental illness i'm not like following science yeah stop like, fucking with me <laughs> completely made up <laughs> my brain just created arbitrary rules around stuff <laughs> It's so funny because that's the answer. I hate when people ask me stuff and I don't really know the answer, but I do know the answer. I'm just like, fucking leave me alone, man. It's just made up. It's not yeah. It's not based in logic. That's yeah. why it's a problem. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just a person like with it. hygiene. <laughs> yeah, that girl is so clean. <laughs> right? That's really just not a bad one. Like, I'm sorry. Like, to me, it's like, oh, this person likes to be clean. Like No, but it is. It does like impact a lot of things. Like if I go out and I sit somewhere in a public space feeling like I have to change my clothes when I come home or shower when I come home or like like, tracking other people in my home. I'm always tracking what people are doing in my home and like cleaning up after they leave and Clorox wiping after they leave. And it is really annoying (laughs) and causes conflict in my life. Also, like I never thought of it like this financially. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, I ruined, products? I like Probably ruined crazy. stuff. Like, I think that like my laptop got water damaged because I kept Clorox wiping it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah and then really I had to pretend that that's not what happened, but it definitely was. What happened. No, I don't know. Just stop working. <laughs> no, that's a, I never really thought of that side of it. Wow. Also, it's so fucking interesting because it, it, I feel like it's like the lone wolf of like mental illness and disorders because it can be so custom 
Oh, it's so custom. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you just have yeah. these, all these Carmo CD, people. like scrupulosity OCD. You know, there are people out there that are like afraid that they're a pedophile and like that's the, their form of it. Like it's a monstrosity that takes many forms. I feel like it's like the redheaded stepchild, though, because it gets like treated like it's not a problem for people that don't have it. You can't understand like how hard that is on somebody's life. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about contamination all the time and how to avoid it and prevent it from spreading. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and helping me get a, an actual real kind of glimpse into contamination OCD. Now, like uh, I'm going to do so much research, like after we, because <laughs> I have to, it's just, it's just who I am like now. I have to do all <laughs> but the last question that I ask everybody that comes on the show is, are you happy today? I've been happy during this recording. I wasn't happy right before. I've just been having, with everything going on, some tough conversations with with family members and the internet oh. and all sorts of stuff. So it's been um, it's been, it's been a tough time for everybody. It's been some uh, wild family and group chats going on for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that I was able to bring a little bit of sunshine into your day. Me too. I really appreciate it. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, working with us and coming on here. And the other thing I wanted to ask is, where can everybody find you? Where can they find the books? what's coming out, what's out already that people can check out. <laughs> Let's end this happy together. I love it. You can find uh, my podcast. It's called Just Between Us on any podcast apps. And then also it's a YouTube channel also called Just Between Us. And then my personal socials is at Allison Raskin. But then I also have a mental health account on Instagram called Emotional Support Lady. That's also a sub stack. So I write a lot about mental health stuff. The Instagram's little stick figure cartoons. And then the sub stack is like full written blogs and articles and stuff. And then my book is called Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships when, oh my God, what is the name of my own book? When Navigating Romantic Relationships when you have anxiety, OCD, and or depression. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> so what I there's a thing that I do on this show. Is there an audible version of your book? Yeah, I read it. All right, here we go. This is uh, what I do on this show. I, I take great pride in doing this. I've tried to read books my entire life, and I can read some of them, but I'm not very good at reading books. Audiobooks is my shit. It really gets me through like manic times in my life. Audiobooks. So I always like to go on making sure, and I buy people's books live on the show. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there it is. Another book sale. And guess what? You guys should go out there and get the book overthinking about you navigating romantic relationships when you have anxiety, OCD, and or depression. And even if you don't, I've been told it's useful. (laughs) Research, 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 research. If there's somebody in your life, if you're dating somebody that deals with these things, it's great to read up. Guys, you could find us at 101 OTC everywhere on the internet. Like, subscribe, do whatever the kids do now to manipulate the algorithm. We'll put uh, all links to Allison's social media and books and all of her great, great stuff that she's doing. And again, thank you so much for being you and uh, being so open with us in the conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, I had the best time. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. 
Entertainment. Hey!